You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shabbat Shalom. I want to tell you a story that is not at all autobiographical. Um, It's going to sound like it might be, but in fact, it's actually a story, like many good myths, could be true of any rabbi in any congregation everywhere. So the rabbi and president of a congregation somewhere in middle America sat down together. Temple prep walk, right? Sure. And the president said, you know, rabbi, we're having a lot of trouble engaging young people, the next generation, they're just not coming to shul. We need to do something that's going to engage them. So the rabbi sits and he thinks and he you know, strokes his beard, and, uh, or her beard, and, uh, <laughs> and, and offers you know, a few suggestions. And each one of them gets kind of shrugged out or rebuffed by the president. Some of them make him bristle a little bit. And finally, the president turns to the rabbi and says, no, rabbi, you don't understand. We want to engage the young people. We want to make sure that they're coming to shul. The only caveat is everything needs to say exactly as it is. I don't know if that sounds familiar or feels familiar to anybody. Like I said, it's not autobiographical, but I think it's a reality that many congregations in our country face. Because at the same time that there are so many young people who are disengaging and disaffecting from institutional religious life, there are conversations like that happening in synagogues and federations and Jewish community centers all over the country. Synagogues may be the epicenter of some of these conversations. And the conversation often goes pretty much like that. Not necessarily having the rabbi on one side and the president on the other side, but the conversation is, in order to meet the needs of a changing population and a different generation and several different generations whose needs and realities and style of life and experience of life is so different from their parents' and their grandparents' generation that the needs that they have and the way of engaging them in the context of religious institutions and religious worship is a totally different context than their parents' and grandparents' generations. And often there's this disconnect because the parents and the grandparents are the ones who are actually coming to synagogue. And they have needs too. They have spiritual needs. They have prayer needs. And so in the conversation of how do we engage this new generation, this new population, the conversation often shifts back to, wait, well, if we do what we need to do to engage different needs of a different generation, then what's going to happen to my synagogue? What's going to happen to my worship? What's going to happen to my needs? There's a story that my rabbi, Sharon Brous, uh, often tells. And it's a story from uh, a Hasidic rabbi named Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. And Rabbi Levi Yitzchak says that once there was a king, 
And the king employed wonderful musicians to sit in his court and play beautiful music and bring joy and harmony to the king. And the musicians loved playing their music. It brought them joy and fulfillment to see the king joyous, and they were deeply satisfied by this practice of playing their beautiful harmonious instruments in the courtyard of the king. Well, as time went by, those musicians all passed away. They got old and they passed away. And the king called in their children to replace them. And their children, feeling a sense of obligation to their parents, picked up their parents' instruments and started playing for the king. But they didn't really have the same feeling about the instruments that their parents had. So they played the instruments, but were kind of ambivalent about the music that they were playing. They didn't really get the power of it. They didn't get the harmony of it. And so each day that they were called before the king, their resentment grew and grew. I'm not getting anything out of this experience of playing before the king. My parents may have gotten something out of it, but I don't. And there are so many more things I could do that are more useful with my time than sitting around and playing instruments for some king. So over time, those children put away their instruments and stopped playing for the king. And they grew rusty out of disuse. And the musicians, those children, grew rusty from not practicing. And over time, it was a feedback cycle. The more disaffected they became, the worse their music was. The worse their music was, the less they appreciated and enjoyed it. And the, more, the less they appreciated it and enjoyed it, the less they wanted to play. And eventually, they stopped playing altogether. Well, eventually, those children passed away. And they had children of their own. And one day, some of those children discovered their parents' instruments laying around in the closet somewhere. And so they picked up those instruments and started to play with them. And they realized that their parents had played those instruments in the presence of a great king. And so they asked the king, could we bring these instruments back to you and play them for you? We'll practice. We'll work on them. And over time, a small group of these grandchildren of the original generation practiced their instruments, worked on their instruments. They would go off early in the morning, even when other people said, what are you doing? This is stupid. This is, you're going to play music for some king? That's so silly. But they said, no, we want to do it. So they did. Their music, over time, grew to be beautiful and harmonious. They realized the incredible power and joy of playing for the king and bringing joy to the king. Their music sounded different from their parents and their grandparents, but it was at least as sweet and brought the king a lot of satisfaction and a lot of joy. And for them, a lot of deep nourishment. That, I think, is what is at play in our community. Not this community, specifically the Jewish community broadly. We have a generation of grandchildren 
who have discovered the instruments of their parents, that their parents may have put away out of disuse, may have not really realized the value of, may have been resentful for, but they see these instruments. And they want to learn how to play them. They just may not play them in exactly the same way that their parents did, or their grandparents. They want to take those instruments and make a new song from them, and make a song that speaks to their souls, and livens up their life. And so the question that's before our community is, can we give space to new musicians? Even if it means, metaphorically speaking, changing the music that we're used to. Changing the music that feels comfortable to us. Because there's a new generation of musicians out there who wants to pick up these instruments and play them in their own way. But that requires a little bit of flexibility, a little bit of creativity, a little bit of willingness on our part to maybe give up some of the music that we've come to deeply appreciate and enjoy. Can we do it for that next generation? Our parsha this week, right before the Ten Commandments, Moses says to the people, Adonai Eloheinu karat imanu brit bachorev, lo et avotenu karat Adonai et zot, ki itanu anachnu ele po hayom kulanu chayim. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, the living, every one of us who is here today. Judaism is for the next generation. And if we can't do what is necessary to ensure that Moses' words are true, that God made the covenant not with our ancestors, or not only with our ancestors, but for us, each of us here today, and tomorrow that will be true, and 10 years from now will be true, that God made that covenant with our descendants who are here today, or who should be here today, then what are we doing? So Moses offers us a challenge. If God made the covenant not with our fathers and not with us, but with our children, then how do we ensure that that covenant remains alive for our children? And there is no way to do it except but to bring that covenant into the language and the idiom and the music that our children know how to play. There's a wonderful story in the Talmud of a man who's planting an etrog tree. He's an elderly man. He's planting an etrog tree, which takes a while to grow. And someone passes by him on the street and says, you're such an idiot. What are you planting this etrog tree for? You know that it's not going to grow by the time you pass away. You're going to plant this tree. You're never going to enjoy its fruit. And the man says, I don't plant this tree for me. I plant it for my children. And my prayer for us is that we see our synagogue as that etrog tree, planted not for us, or at least not exclusively for us, but to ensure that our children love and enjoy the sweet taste of its fruit. Shabbat Shalom.